0: thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Hello all, you're listening to Crewing the Air on 3CR 855 AM. This is Frank speaking and I'll be co-hosting with Iris. How are you doing Iris?
2: I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah,
1: pretty good. I've got a pretty good show planned ahead, so I'm pretty excited. Um, But first, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Sovereignty was never ceded. So two weeks ago, the Festival of the Photocopier Zine Fair was run at the Victorian Trades Hall by the purveyors of zine culture themselves, the Sticky Institute. I've mentioned Sticky a few times on this show, but for those who don't know, the Sticky Institute is a store in uh, in the Flinders Street Arcade that sells zines, and they do a lot of good for the queer community. So I've recorded some interviews with the people behind Sticky. So today, you'll be listening to Luke Sinclair, who is one of the organisers at Sticky, as well as two of its volunteers, is Helen Graham and John Stevens So you will be listening to them right after this You're listening to Quiriniere on FreeCR 855 AM I am currently at the lovely Sticky Institute underneath uh, Flinders Street Station in Campo Arcade and I am pleased to be talking to one of the organisers here at Sticky uh, Luke Sinclair, how are you going Luke? I'm good, hello Hi. So uh, yeah, tell us uh, tell us a bit about the uh, the Sticky Institute, the history behind it, and how it got started.
3: All right. So Sticky Institute started in two thousand and one. We started on the first of April two thousand and one, and we had about twelve zines on the shelf at the opening night party. And we've recently stocked our sixteen thousand five hundred individual zine title since we opened. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so really, if you look at the history, the kind of genius of the space is that. Um, so Simone Ewinson, who's a Melbourne artist, wanted... She went to Amsterdam, and she visited a space called Bookie Wookie, which is a artist book, more project. So she came back to Melbourne in 1999, 2000, and was interested in starting a space inspired by bookie-wookie. I was at the Victorian College of the Arts at the time, and I knew Simone from seven or eight years before. We'd worked on a production of The Tempest together, Shakespeare's The Tempest. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And she came to VCA to give a guest lecture at lunchtime with the collaborative art-making group Damp. And we hadn't seen each other for a few years, so we caught up after the talk... And she came back to my studio and said she was interested in starting this shop and would she knew that I'd been making zines and so would I be interested in stocking you know, would I be interested in stocking zines there and maybe working there one afternoon a week. So I signed up for that and little did I know that I was signing up for a lot more than that. <laughs> that is that is an amazing history right there. <laughs> there was kind of a little bit of pressure for us to move to bigger premises to run workshops and to do anything other than what we actually do which is run a zine shop. And so at the end of 2011 we decided not that we didn't want to expand, we didn't want to run workshop programs. We wanted to focus on running our zine shop and we lost all of our funding at the end of 2011, so we completely restructured. We went back so we went back to a all volunteer model again and Eloise's piece moved on and then we split it with a three-way coordinator model. So there's myself, Beck and Thomas were the three coordinators and then with another 15 volunteers Mm -hmm. under that. So again, we probably should have closed then and we managed to come up with another way to roll with it for another few years. So that all was smooth. And then after about three more years of that, the City of Melbourne um, tried to triple... Our rent here, this is a city of Melbourne-owned space, Mm -hmm. and they've been very gracious in that they have subsidised this rent as a community art space since we opened, which is one of the few reasons we can actually stay here because it's very, very... The the rent subsidised because it's a city of Melbourne-owned building. So then they decided they want to change that, so we discussed that with them for about nine months, and then Rowan Leppert, who's an amazing man and a Greens... A member of the council, he managed to persuade them that they should continue supporting this space as that, so we'd survived another near miss. Just as we got through that, then the Metro Tunnel plans were published that the Metro Tunnel was going to go directly through Sticky Institute. So that's where we are today. All the shops in Campbell Arcade have been evicted as of this July 2019, and we're negotiating with the Metro Tunnel people for a new space for Sticky Institute.
1: What sort of... Because, um, yeah, uh, Sticky, to me, is more than uh, just, just a bookstore. It's just sort of like a community. It's sort of a, a place where you can sort of meet other young artists who, you know, are just sort of doing the, the things that they love. What other kind of services do you offer Zinesters here in the Sticky Institute?
3: Well, I think, well, I think when we opened... Well, I was really naive... Inexperienced, a younger man than I am these days. I hadn't seen quite as many battles, but um, like when I, when we opened, really, I thought we were gonna sell zines on a shelf. Mm-hmm. That was essentially people want zines. I like zines. Let's put them on a shelf and we'll sell them. And that was kind of as much as I kind of thought thought <laughs> through. And then it took took me kind of years to really realize that the space was taking on this life of its own and had become a really important and powerful thing way beyond offering zines for sale on a shelf like you say you can come to this space you can meet other people you can talk to them about their work you know we run the zine fair you can go there and meet other people see thousands of zines and I know we had a volunteer work one time and they came in and said they wanted to volunteer here because this was one of the few spaces left in Melbourne, which was safe and welcoming. And when they said that, it was kind of really shocking to me. And it was like, oh, we'd been kind of developing this whole thing that I didn't actually realise we were kind of developing because I just thought we were developing a shop that sold Mm -hmm. zines. And then there's all these other kind of things which are really beautiful which have come with that, which I guess we've kind of been... Open enough to allow to exist, I guess. And now it's many things to many people. And it kind of, part of it is just extreme hard work. And the, there's another part of it which is just good luck. And the other part is just the kind of beautiful community which surrounds it. So it's kind of similar with the Zine Fair. When we first put on the Zine Fair, we just, like, it was hard work. We just grafted. It was all work, trying to get people to. You know, come and try and tell everyone that it was on. But now, you know, everyone kind of advertises it themselves. Everyone mm. spreads the word. Everyone kind of does that job, and you don't have to just break your back. It kind of has a life of its own. I think the shop, the shop is kind of the same. And it's, I mean, it's kind of. I think the main thing I think of the shop is that it's really kind of similar to a zine itself. It's like a big physical manifestation of a paper zine because it can change. Mm. And that's good. It does change. You know, people come and go, ideas come and go, and it just has somehow managed to continue for 18 years, which is just mind-boggling, really. Like we, we'll often, it's funny, we'll often get people come in and they'll say, oh, how long have you been here? Is this some kind of pop-up? <laughs> and it's like, we've been here 18 years. And then you get other people and they'll come in And they'll say, you know, they've been been living in Malaysia for 15 years or whatever. And they'll come and say, I used to come here in 2003, like, and you're still here. And Mm. it's still me, you know, sat behind the desk, just kind of getting older and older. And it's like, yeah, we're still here. We still do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. But because it's got that huge kind of time span and history to it now you'll see people come in and they've got kids who, mm. you know, they're not kids anymore, they're like young oh, adults wow. kind of thing and they mm. used to come here before they'd met their partner or whatever. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's it's an important space, I guess.
1: Mm. Yeah, like, um, I remember the first time I came to Sticky, I believe it was about... 2009 because uh, i had gotten one of my comics in a publication uh it was called yuck uh by uh, james andre yeah yeah and yeah. uh yeah i sort of checked it out and it was i was you know i was sort of thinking oh there's got to be some sort of like really selective process to sort of like you know putting put my book on <laughs> the stage and so i asked him was like oh how did you manage to get it and it's like well i just asked and they said yes i'm like Really, that's it. That that's it. Yeah. Just started me on the road to self-publishing my own comics, and I've met like so many people, not just from the local comic scene, but a uh, scene, but in like you know, uh, zinesters, writers, uh, you know, musicians. Um, and it was sort of my first introduction to. The, the queer community and sort of like mm. helping me find my own identity as a queer person. The queer presence here is something uh, you're, you know, you've definitely helped culti- cultivate over the years?
3: Uh, it is, I mean, there's always been queer volunteers working here. So, but again, it, it was quite, I mean, for me, it seemed really organic that people kind of stake a claim to it. So, whatever groups they are, if they're coming in here lots, if that's who's, you know, if they're comics makers, if that's who's coming in and hanging around, they tend to attract other comics makers. Mm. So if you've got your perzine makers, if they're all kind of congregating here, they attract more. That brings more of those zines here. And there's always been, yeah, a real kind of strong queer presence here, so that attracts more queer zines, more queer people, and they bring their friends, and then there's more and more and more. So about seven or eight years ago, we had a whole stack of punks volunteer in here mm. and so there's a few few subtle changes like there was a nothing over ten dollars policy instigated and you know just little changes like that and then more of the punks were kind of attracted and they move on to somewhere else it kind of does change year in year out i've got there's some photos if you look at pictures of the shelves over the years it's quite it, changes slowly but it is if you look at them next to each other it's quite dramatic just the different kind of things you do see on the shelf so I think a lot of it is the volunteers that are working here at any given time so Thomas was one of the coordinators for the past kind of seven years Mm -hmm. and he was very active with promoting queer events was very keen just to have that kind of presence in the store so then there's more and more of that Um, it's always good when we get a new volunteer. It's always kind of changes it slightly. Cool. Um, so,
1: yeah, I guess I wanted to talk about the, the Festival of the Photocopier Zine Fair. At the time of this recording, it finished uh, just... Two Days ago, um, one of the really interesting changes has been the change in location. Uh, previously, it was held at the Melbourne Town Hall, and now it was at the Trades Hall on Victoria Street, Carlton. Um, how do you think the Zine Fair this year went, and how did the change in location affect anything, if, if at all?
3: Yeah, I've been asking a lot of people. It was it, it, so it was over two days for the first time this year. The two days was definitely successful, like it was busy, you know, we had people coming through both days, which was good. Um, I mean, the, I think the town hall is a more central, it's a better location. It's just so expensive to hire the Melbourne town hall. Mm. Essentially, it's $16,000 oh. a day.
1: Wow, that's a lot so of change. So <laughs> if
3: we were going to put on the two-day zine for there, it would cost, yeah, 32000 just for the room, probably 6000 for tables and chairs. And then at the town hall, you need to pay for the concierge, the bag checkers, the fire warden, the ushers, and then publicity. So this year we got we got a grant from the City of Melbourne. We got one of their arts grants, and that was enough to cover either one day at the Melbourne Town Hall, or we could do it two days somewhere else. And so when we first ran the Festival of the Photocopies Info, we ran it out the front of Sticky. Mm-hmm. So that was 2008, and we had 50 trestle tables out there. So then the next year... So that was, it was roughly about 80 bookings. So the next year there was 95, next year was 110, next year there was 125. It grew by around about 15 bookings each year for the first five years. And then by that point we'd outgrown the subway out here, so we moved it to the Melbourne Town Hall. And the first year we were there was 2012, and the room was a little bit too big for the event still at that point, so it was mm. a bit kind of patchy. And then the next year... I figured we were kind of at capacity, though. That was as big as a Zine Fair could get. And then the next year, we had, like, 40 extra bookings just out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And then the year after that, we had a further 60 on top of that. And then last year, we had a further 70 on top of the 60. So it was at complete capacity at the Melbourne Town Hall last year. But the problem for this year was we were expecting it to grow again by another 50 stall, 50 tables, which is 100 stalls, And so we could either run it one day at the Melbourne Town Hall and essentially have 100 people miss out on stalls, Mm. or we could move it to another venue, which we could afford, and run it over two days. So we decided to move it. And it was was over kind kind of seven rooms at Trades Hall, so it was quite meandering and it was a bit hard to get people to understand where everything was. But, you know, people figured it out. I had a good weekend in the end. It was great.
1: Uh, I was I was there tabling on both days, and, yeah, it was uh, such a great time. I mean, it always is. Like, every zine fair I've done here at, um, at Sticky has always been great. But, yeah, this one in particular was really good. So, yeah, you mentioned about the ordeal with the Metro Tunnel. Uh, maybe it's a bit too early to tell at this stage, but where do you think the future of Sticky will be? going at the moment?
3: So we've had meetings with the Metro Tunnel Authority and they've suggested they will help us to move to a new space. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more concrete than that at this point though. So it's very unclear what's going to happen. Basically the proposal was that the tunnel would come directly through it's a pedestrian walkway, linking Town Hall Station to Flinders Street Station would come directly through Sticky Institute. So Ellen Sandell, the Greens member for Melbourne, has been wonderful in asking questions in Parliament about that. If they want to demolish any part of Campbell Arcade, it's all heritage listed down here, so they have to apply to Heritage Victoria for a heritage permit to demolish. As part of that process, there's a two-week consultation where anyone can object to the plans and because of what's happening with the apple store in fed square mm-hmm. and what was happening at the vic market heritage issues are really hot in melbourne at the minute so the national trust has advised them to go behind the shops mm-hmm. don't demolish the shops come out through the old news agents down there and then you don't have to demolish any of these heritage listed shops there was uh, architect down here two weeks ago so looking at possibly coming up with a design which means they don't have to demolish the shops the proposal we've put to the Metro Tunnel is they help us move they subsidise our rent in that new location for the six years that Campbell Arcade is closed and then we move back to our shop which would be wonderful if they demolish it we move back to one of the other shops down here but Mm -hmm. there's no concrete response from the Metro Tunnel at this point so we're just continuing negotiations with them and keeping our fingers crossed Because part of the the reason we've been able to exist down here is that the City of Melbourne have subsidised the space in such an amazing way since 2001. Mm -hmm. So the other spaces we looked at, um, you know, essentially you go above ground and the rent is 15 times what we pay currently down here and we struggle to pay. You know, we're an artist-run space, we're a community resource, we sell zines, 80% of the shelf price goes straight back to the artists. So we don't make... A lot of money. <laughs> yep. So we have we have trouble covering the rent as it is. So to cover 15 times, that is a really big ask for us. But, I mean, you know, with the Festival of the Photocopy, we have people coming for that from Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Perth, Adelaide. We had Alex Rick come over from Portland, Oregon in the States oh, this nice. year. And, you know, they, they just can't believe that such a thing can exist and that such a thing can be destroyed so easily. Like Sydney people, whenever they come down here, they're like, we would love something like this in Sydney. You know, when we go to there, we always go up for Otherworld Zine Fair in Sydney and I probably get approached at that by, 10 to 15 people every time saying, yeah, we really want to open a zine store Mm -hmm. in Sydney. You know, how do you run Sticky? And so I tell them and I just first off start by saying, you know, the first thing is you will never, ever, ever make any money don't even begin to think that you will make any money, but it will make you insanely happy, but you will have to work very, very hard, Mm. and there will definitely never be any money made, and that kind of sees their faces drop a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) I can definitely relate to that with my comics. Yeah, I mean, that's right. It's similar similar to a zine in itself. You're never going to make money off your zines. You're never going to make money off a shop that sells zines. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, it is, it's a resource, it's a community resource and people use it Mm. and it's been here for 18 years, so there's kind of, you know, several generations really have come through and, you know, it, you know, when I, like I said, I thought we were setting up a shelf where you bought zines, but more than that, it's just the physical presence of the zines, Mm. which is as strong as anything else, because if anyone is out there who doesn't think zines exist in 2019 they just have to come in and their argument kind of doesn't hold immediately. Mm. It's like, oh well, here's lots of zines. Look yeah. at
1: all these. <laughs> so, um, just to just to finish up, uh, where can we find Sticky on social media? And if there's anything we can do to support you with the uh, the Metro Tunnel situation?
3: Yep. So, I okay, guess so. There's a, Sticky has a website, www.stickyinstitute.com. Com. The Facebook page is really really active. We're on Instagram and Twitter, but not quite as kind of explosive as the other. The other Facebook kind of action. The the next thing we can get people to do to help with the Metro Tunnel situation is when Metro Tunnel does apply for a heritage permit to demolish. We're going to spread the word as far as we can so people can share their thoughts on demolishing heritage-listed buildings in central Melbourne, and if there's enough people who care about that, then they won't get their heritage permit and they'll have to come up with another idea which preferably would be to go back to the old design which went under Flinders Street from the old Royal Arcade Mm -hmm. and that doesn't touch Campbell Arcade at all that would be amazing (laughs) yeah but yeah look out for the sticky Facebook page we'll be writing lots and lots when the two week window happens and when we do know that we've got a fantastic new larger space in central Melbourne we'll let everyone know (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> awesome.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, th- thank you so much, Luke, for speak- speaking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I am back in Sticky, and I am joined with one of the volunteers here. Uh, say hello to Helen Graham. Helen, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm pretty happy and summery and warm.
1: <laughs> awesome. Cool. So, Helen is an artist who does a lot of volunteering here at Sticky, so we'll ask her a few questions. Uh, So, uh, Helen, how did you uh, get involved in Sticky?
2: Um, A friend of mine actually brought me here years or so back when I was in art school, and I had never really heard of zines before, and then I came in here and it was just kind of like a deep dive into zines. Um, It's like diving into the deep end, Mm. because the whole walls are just surrounded and stacked with zines and so it just kind of introduced me into an art form that was very accessible to me because I do love a a story or a a piece of writing or some way to display art that is cheap and easy and just fun to consume Mm -hmm. and therefore I got really into zines and from there I was very, very curious and working freelance at the time so I was working from home Um, so I wanted to join uh, the Sticky Institute, a volunteer squad. And I just kind of sent in an email, and luckily one of my friends saw the email and was like, yeah, come on in.
1: So yeah, so that was your first introduction to zines. Um, Were you doing art before then, or was it the zine thing that just got you into it? Yeah, I was
2: doing art. Um, I was very interested in comics and narrative-based art and character art and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would try every now and then to make a comic or make a narrative uh, and just share it with the internet, but... I didn't really like the the digital way of sharing something. But being able to make something and put something in my hand, I was like, oh, cool. So I was doing a lot more of that at school with um, prints and traditional art. Then when I came to Sticky, I kind of realised that I could also make books, which was something I really enjoyed when my favourite artists would put out an art book or buying an art book from the, uh, the galleries and such that I visit. Just so I could have something to take home with me and something to reference and flip through and inspire me. So I found that this was a nice way for me to start making art books. And this is kind of where my transition from uh, just doing straight-up art and illustration came into being bound essentially into zines so that I could... it was just another way to express myself, I think. And then reading a whole bunch of the stuff, it was just very inspiring.
1: What are the what are your influences uh, with your art? Um, uh, do do other zines inspire you? Like what kind of art do you do basically?
2: Um, mostly, it's figurative, illustrative work, um, studying form, shape, uh, and line work, and everything like that, and color. I, I try to play with everything, um, and the actual content of it is usually femininity, sexuality. Um, a lot of animal stuff thrown in there too so I've got my more adult stuff which is more nudes and things like that and explorations of sexuality Um, and then there's just animals (laughs) the two uh, juxtapositions there Um, but yeah, a lot of my art just comes when it's something that I feel compelled to draw and usually comes from a place of trying to understand something myself or trying to see something myself in a positive light or even just trying to get that raw feeling out of there.
1: So during your time here at Sticky, uh, have you had a chance to meet with much uh, other artists and zinesters and have you been able to like share ideas and, I guess, scenes as well with them?
2: Yes. Um. The amazing thing about Sticky, even just coming here to hang out without volunteering, is you do kind of get on this level with all the other artists that come and create content here. Um, And it's a wonderful, a wonderful time to actually meet them, because you're here, you're all working, you're creating stuff together, and I just find that being in a a situation, a group situation, creating with people, and it's it kind of becomes collaborative, and it's it's magical. Um, It's a really, it's a really great place to meet like-minded guys that you know, they're just, it's awesome. (laughs) Like I have made so many friends by volunteering here over the past year that I'm so I'm so touched and blessed and I'm just so happy that there that I have this community this little family here because it is a little family in the end
1: that's really great to hear I, def- I definitely feel the same mm. way I really would like to come here more often than I, I usually do so I was speaking to Luke about this and he mentioned that um, one of the things he really liked about sticky is that it's sort of a, a safe space for for everyone to sort of Sort of come here and like share ideas and like in a in an environment that you know is really sort of protective mm. um, uh, do you do you believe this is the case
2: i yes, I certainly try my best to keep this a safe space, and when i 'm volunteering here, I have that in mind, and it 's because it 's the sort of space that I want to see and I want to create is just a safe space for as many people as possible, especially like those of us who we're queer, those of us who are gender diverse. It's just it's good to have a place where you know you don't have to be like on guard all the time. You can just say something about your sexuality or anything like that. And people won't like judge you. It's it's so it's all the wonderful love of family, but without the horrible judgment. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, and I've always associated Sticky with uh, having a big queer queer presence. Mm. How have you helped Sticky uh, cultivate this this queer presence, like sort of the, the steps you've taken to, to help out in, the, in that regard?
2: Myself, I just try to encourage everyone who comes in here with an idea, everyone who comes in here to even just discuss sexuality and stuff like that and look at what other people th- think because we have such a huge um, body of work here that is about queer and the sexuality and lgbtq issues um it is it's i just try to encourage and that's all all i think is sometimes needed because people will create and people will start to find that support when they start putting into it as well so if somebody comes in and are thinking or they even bring up the idea of making a zine that could be about sexual issues i'm just like go for it like Mm -hmm. That's the best thing I like to do for people is just to encourage them as much as I can because everyone creating is just it's wonderful getting everyone's ideas out there. Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting because I was uh, reading I was reading an article that Sticky posted on their Tumblr, and uh, it was sort of about the idea that even with the the rise of the internet and blogging and social media. Uh, you would think that like it would have it would be the death knell of zines mm. but on the contrary it seems to have like like almost increased the the love of zines and the idea was like i mean this in the best way because not a lot of people read the zines it feels like you can sort of uh divulge your secrets mm. in like a really personal form and mm. you know it's free from like the judgment that you get sometimes on the internet with a lot of really mean people making comments and, and and stuff like that um is is that something you've experienced as well
2: yeah you can put your voice out there and you don't necessarily have to receive something back which is sometimes very comforting because um, most of my work is online um it is, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit nice to go and hide behind, like, a piece of paper. Um, I actually I recently wrote a zine for our Feed the Animals uh, campaign, which Mm -hmm. is to raise money to um, refurbish our typewriters and the prompt was typewriter Um, and I uh, have always been very nervous about actually writing things down and telling people things with words rather than images so I wrote down stuff for the typewriter zine and it's kind of a bit of a personal uh experience that I just kinda wanted to explore. And I just find it incredibly good to just put it out there quietly in paper format mm. <laughs> rather than have to go into it deep with, you know, a friend or anything like that. I can just say, well this was my experience. This is it. You don't have to ask me any questions about it. This is just this is my feelings right here.
1: Mm sort of like pen pals, like writing letters to each yes. other. This, in a, in a way, I feel is, is quite similar writing to that. Writing into
2: a zine is incredible. It's like giving a, a pen pal letter to the universe, to anyone. Anyone could come pick it up and maybe connect with it, and then they can take that home. And I find having little things that you can connect with um, is incredibly inspiring, just to kind of have that relatability with someone, because that was when I first... Really connected to zines was when I was reading people's per zines about Mm. their own experiences, and I felt, oh, I can connect to this. I feel a little less alone, a little less isolated, which is quite cliche, but it's, I guess, it's kind of cliche for that reason that it is something so relatable.
1: Uh, so just to finish up, uh, what, where can we find you um, online? Like where, we can, where can we find your art on social media? Like maybe buy some of your comics and zines.
2: Yeah, um, I'm JuiMon on Gumroad. That's where you can buy my zines digitally for a digital download. Um, otherwise, I am JuiMon dot WordPress dot com. So JuiMon is spelled J U I M O N. Just because I keep saying it and realizing that people might not know what I'm saying, but yeah, that's my handle online for the most part. Just look up Jewimon Mon on uh Instagram, uh Joey Mon Draws on Twitter because Joey Mon's taken. <laughs> um and yeah, Jewimon Mon Illustration all about the place just where I put my work. Um yeah. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much, Helen. This has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you. Cool. We are here at the State Library of Victoria because the person we are speaking to is a volunteer at Sticky and who also curates a zine collection here at the State Library. So, say hello to John Stevens. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, start off the interview by asking how did you get involved in Sticky?
0: Well, I first got involved um, many years ago, around 2003. I was um, studying uh, my undergraduate degree in professional writing, um, and the year before then, I first became aware of Sticky um, existing. So it was only a year after Sticky had, had become an entity unto itself, and I, um, and I was looking for a place to stop my zine, uh, a zine that I'd uh, um, made with a friend of mine. and. Then the next year, I um, because a, a friend of mine had started volunteering there, I thought I would approach him and, and see to help out because zines seemed a very amazing area and something I wanted to discover more, and volunteering there seemed like the best way to do that.
2: Mm,
1: awesome. So was that sort of your the, the beginning of your zine journey, or were you making zines before then?
0: Uh, I think it was kind of the beginning. I had... Dabbled then things that I would look back on and would say, that's probably zines. But um, without having access to a community, it's difficult to have a point of reference and to know how to how to get started and what and what constitutes a zine to, and to give validity to that kind of creation because until you make those discoveries about that there is preset for um, objects that are like zines in the world and there is respect for them, you can't... It's, it's hard to get, a bit, get much of a drive and it did actually take me a few years after volunteering at Tiki before I really started um, making my own. I think it was only after my initial um, stint of volunteering there for a few years that I actually um, started doing much in a way of like solid zine production. So I was mainly observing for my first uh, few years in the community tell me a bit about the
1: transition from sticky to the state library. How did that come about?
0: Um, I mean, I was aware, uh, obviously when I was volunteering that, um, there was a relationship that had started with the state library around the, around the end of my time, which is around 2006, uh, which is when I was studying to be a librarian and I became aware that like, you know, with sticky, everything that came in, like one copy got set aside for going down the road to the state library. Mm -hmm. And, um, One of our uh, chief uh, volunteers at the time who became one of our coordinators uh, was um, the first zine collection volunteer here. And so when when I started at the State Library, it was a new graduate program. And one of the things that um, uh, got the interest of the State Library was the fact that I had an understanding of zines and I had experience with the zine community. And so when I started here, I very soon was um, working in the rare printed area it was very helpful for um for, for the library having another person who could talk about zines and could refer them could be a essentially a go-to person um which is what it was for um, a long period of time
1: yeah so tell us a bit more about the collection of, of zines here and sort of i guess what like what are some of the highlights of the collection and how do you go about i guess
0: I guess cataloguing them. The collection started as a joint effort between the rare printed collection and the arts collection, mm-hmm. uh, and the arts collection is where I am uh, officially based here. And the um, and it, it be, because the two heads of those collections at the time realised that they were um, were aware of zines and were aware, were aware of them as being like an, an active um, cultural movement. But the at that time uh, around the late nineties, people thought that the zine community wouldn't last the mm-hmm. zines themselves wouldn't last because the internet was on the rise and a lot of the things the ease of publication that um that zines provided or that still provide, many respects um that they felt that that would just be transitioned over to the internet and no one would bother making zines anymore uh and so we, the idea was to grab as many as we could and and so as it is at the moment, for example, we've got about thirteen thousand catalogued and in the collection. Yeah. But the distinction being it's mainly done by volunteers. A lot of zine collections around the world are run by volunteer groups and any if you're going to engage with other zine collections you need to you need to kind of break out of like librarian thinking in some respects. Yeah, uh, and the way we do it is um, we we have a um, a small a small handful of our uh, volunteers uh, who uh, come in generally once a week and spend some time with the collection and mm-hmm. go through and list them and we do what's called spreadsheet cataloging. Right. So there's a series of columns for different aspects of a zine, like the title, author, and so forth. And we make make sure that uh, in terms of Listing who the creator was we only list what's on the zine. There are there's also areas in there where brief descriptions of it can be put in um, And sometimes sometimes even with the best description you can only do so much so much in terms of making it uh, Making it findable in a way that's close to how it might have been found if it was in a store or found um, uh, in in any kind of space that provides um, a browsable zine collection uh, because of like the nature of the collection we have, we, yep. it's not browsable. It's all um, it's all kept in archival boxes and okay. stored with, with with the rest of our rare book collection. And because of that, we can't. Um, there are limitations to that. People can't. Uh, people can't browse for the zines. And and uh, one friend rather uh, kind of jokingly said that the first thing she said when she saw the saw the boxes on the shelves was like ah this is where zines go to die (laughs) and uh, and i knew she she only meant uh, only meant that like with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek but i i do understand it if this was the only kind of zine collection uh, that that existed um that wouldn't be amazing it's always good that that there are other collections that are more accessible so um so knowing that we're we're just one particular approach and we are trying to preserve them as long as possible I mean with ephemeral objects um, they're never going to last as well as nearly anything else out there mm-hmm. I think it was like um, there was a quote from Bruce LaBruce I always brought up because he, you know, he was one of the forerunners of uh, uh, the queer core scene and he when he was asked about libraries keeping zines he was like why why do you want to hang on to zines they're they're photocopied they're stapled together and i'm not gonna attest to their staples when you see them 20 30 years down the track they're horrible they've eaten through the paper they're rusted there's there's a lot of things that um are just they're not made to last it's um they're they're they're, they're objects of the moment and he, you know his opinion was like don't hang on to them just throw them out and mm. um, we're obviously not going to take that approach but but there is um there is sort of still that lingering um when you I guess connection with the situationist movement of the 60s Mm. um, which informs a lot of um, contemporary zine making that came out of the punk movement that um, this is something, something we're making for this point in time we're not making it forever um, I and mean, we don't intend it to last beyond this moment and if it does, that's incidental. Is it fair to say that the zine collection here is, has a lot of uh, queer artists showcased? Yeah, no, no, it definitely does. Zines that are even just from the 90s so we're talking only a little over mm-hmm. two decades ago and they're still considered like, not maybe not maybe ancient is the wrong word, but it's... But uh, they've they've got an age and a resonance to them, and like like when you look at look at um, queer zines from back then, mm. uh, especially back then when there when there wasn't uh, there wasn't much in the way of like sort of like um, visible queer alternatives, mm. uh, like you know the um, you know when you think about some of some of those zines from back then, like um, uh, the Burning Times, which is made by Richard Watts, who, yep. who now run, um, uh, is very well known in the local um, arts and queer community. Um, and and still very closely attached to that, but that was, that was like a very a, a very important theme for that time. And there are th- there are artists and, and topics and so forth and that, that come out in there that are um, you you just didn't get within uh, contemporary uh, like uh, queer press at that time. Or at that time, there was even even using the term queer press would have been mm-hmm. uh, would, would not have, not have been too accurate. It was very strictly GL. And, and right. not, not much outside of that, yeah. and and there are other zines I believe, like uh, uh, coffee up uh, Lego Man, Lego Man gets gets referenced quite a bit. It's still best if someone has some level of access to oral, to the oral history of the time, to understanding to speaking with people and having having titles of zines passed on to them. That's always the best way to access them. Here, like there were, there, we definitely do have a large set uh, of zines that, um, of. Queer zines and 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 zines that cover queer topics within here, that um, but um, having having those titles to begin with is all, is always the be- the best way to get right to it and to find out exactly how extensive we have them. There's definitely a, a you know a, a goldmine of potential um, of source material for like for for artists there were because a lot of a lot of artists that had had. Um, uh, did um like some artists did use zines as a bridging medium other people were, were um uh who have made zines over time have branched out and into other more um i guess you could say mainstream formats and mediums mm-hmm. they have um but have continued to make zines and so forth. That's still it's still a very big part of um part of what they do and some people go through the go through um, a career in fine arts and then discover zines quite later and then discover a lot of freedom through that so and so it's it's good to be able to capture that wherever we can so yeah i guess just to finish up
1: um if you know if there's a young person out there who wants to get into zines mm-hmm. uh whether it's creating them or reading them uh, what what sort of advice would you give give them
0: um i think going to if, you, if you're able to go to a space like sticky that's that's always great i mean like if, if people when when I'm fielding inquiries at the library here about scenes, I um, I do encourage people to go down there if they if if they're just discovering the form, and they're wanting to directly engage with it uh, because the, there we are what's called a gatekeeper institution. There's all the there's a lot of steps, especially with special collections like this to access the material that's definitely a way that you can do it but a very direct way is to um go into a space like that and if you can't get to a space like that um finding out when the when a zine fair is that's not far from where you are there are fairs that happen all around the country mm. sometimes they happen as, as a part of um uh alternative literature festivals or even portal mm. um literature festivals uh that the where there will be book fairs where there will also be a zine element there but if you can find a zine specific festival especially one like that takes the approach like sticky does that um only only zine stalls are allowed then you go there and you know that everybody who's here all they've all they've brought for that uh, for that time is zines And 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 you just get immersed in what's possible uh because because there are there are no rules to it but knowing knowing how people make that knowing ways that you can make things that will how you nonetheless create a very engaging original and powerful object through um very straightforward um accessible form it's like i mean freedom's frightening and so i think getting some points of reference um cut cut through that a fair bit if someone wanted to find out about the zine collection here is there any information online that they can access if you did want to do want to sort of browse online you can actually just type the word zines into the catalog and when you land on the website the search box up near the top and uh the lion's share of the results will be uh front in the zine collection there'll be a few examples of books about zines that are elsewhere in the collection and there are a small percentage of zines in the other, in the in the broader collection, but most of them will be in the in the um, at the rare printed collection, and then you can browse through. You can have a have a look at the kind of things that are there. It's also possible to uh, to uh, put in a broader inquiry, like if you were to put through. Um, there's a link up the top of the website which says "Ask a Librarian," and if you and you can. F- fill in an online inquiry form and say, I want to look at some zines that were produced around a certain point in time. Like all of the the zines we've gotten from Sticky, for example, there'll be a date saying these are the ones that were collected between like May and August 2007. And so if you want to have a look at what's the kind of zines were coming through Sticky around that time, um, then yeah, we could um, arrange for a couple of boxes to be delivered Um, sometimes it can happen on the same day but if you're putting in one of those inquiries it can take a bit longer so if you're okay with that then we can see what we can find set something up for you and take it from there
1: yeah it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you john
0: it's been very um very informative and illustrative and
1: good on you for keeping zine culture alive in in the city thank you very much and thank you to Luke, Helen, and John from the Sticky Institute for doing these interviews. It's been uh, absolutely incredible. And yeah, so do yourself a, a favor and go to the Sticky Institute at the Flinders the Street Arcade to uh, buy some zines and support local press. So uh, before we uh, finish up with the show, I just wanted to promote... A event that's going to happen on March 31st, which also is Trans Day of Visibility. So Sally Goldner from FreeCR's own Out of the Pan will be holding a panel discussion with moderator Mama Alto and a whole bunch of trans and gender diverse uh, POC advocates, writers and artists. And they will be talking about visibility for trans people of colour. Uh, This will be held at Hares and Hyenas at 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, and there will also be games and activities for the young'uns, as well as a TDOV party later that night, and that'll feature a whole bunch of fun stuff, but in particular, a spoken word and poetry session by Artemis Manoz and Nevo Zizan. If you can't make it, you can, of course, listen to it live on Out of the Pan, right here on FreeCR. Um, but if you can make it, it'll be a good time. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely come on down. And I also wanted to promote another event, uh, which is MCW and Evie's Presents. Uh, G-I-R-L, which is Glow in Real Life Free uh, Women's Wrestling. So, based on the hit Netflix show, Glow, uh, there will be an event uh, at Evie Cisco Diner at 230 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. So that's actually not too far from here. And there's going to be a whole heap of uh, female wrestling. Uh, Witness the best female wrestlers from around Australia. There's a DJ and pre-show entertainment. There's a 50-drink voucher up for grabs. But there is. This show is also significant because it will be introducing Candy Lee, the first ever transgender woman, woman's wrestling champion, world direct from New Zealand. The doors open at three thirty p.m. on Sunday, the third of March. Uh, the show starts at five thirty. Ticket prices are early bird twenty five and general admission uh, thirty thirty dollars. So if you're a big fan of Glow as I am, this is definitely not one you want to miss. And Evie's is a great clear queer inclusive uh pro uh, uh venue so definitely uh definitely support them uh sadly that is all the time we have uh parting is such sweet sorrow but alas here we are. Um so you can find previous episodes of Queering the Air on the Free CR website, that is freecr.org.au, and like and follow us on Facebook, that's Queering the Air on Facebook for more updates. And while you're at it, uh do subscribe to FreeCR. You can come into the studio via office hours, you can do it uh by phone or online at the Free CR website. It's thirty-five concession and seventy-five wage. So do yourself a favor and support community radio.